Aloha. Good morning, Ohana Church. What a blessing it is to worship with our melee team. There's so much talent up here. Amen. It's good to see Brian back up here. And it's just something about Kahuzik leading music. It's just a joy. My name is Ian Van Cleve. If you don't know who I am, Kahuzik asked me to preach this morning. And so we are in week four of our sermon series, The Struggle is Real. Today, we are talking about the GOAT. We are going to have that debate, the GOAT. And those of you that are really confused, we're talking about the greatest of all time. You got to keep up with your sports if you're going to be a part of this church, I think. You know what I mean? <laughs> talking about the greatest of all time, we're going to have that debate. So Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice. You know it's got to be a Niner if you're a part of this church. Yeah. Am I right, Kyle? That's right. All right, well, there's just something about that desire to seek out who's the greatest, what's the best, what's the most important, and we're going to see that today in our passage, actually. Obviously, we're not talking about the NFL, but we're going to see that desire to find out what is the greatest, what is the most important. So, we're going to be reading from Mark 12, 28 to 34. Stand with me as we read together. We are an exegetical preaching church here at Ohana Church. We preach from the text. And so today, 12, Mark 12, 28 to 34, it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and, then, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would remove any obstacle in our way this morning, God, that you would just move, that your words would be what is spoken, God, that you would, God, just move, that your spirit would be mighty and powerful now. God, change our hearts. Show us your ways. Pray us in your name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so first of all, let's get a little context. We've just been walking through Mark, and we've just seen the Pharisees and the Herodians trying to trap Jesus, right? What was the question that they asked him about paying taxes to Caesar? They're trying to trap him with, with that question. Then the Sadducees tried to trap him as well, asking him about this ridiculous question, this scenario they don't even believe in, with the widow and, the, and her husbands and uh, them in heaven. So we see today in our text, it's the scribe's turn. So who is the scribe? Who is this scribe? There are a class of people trained to interpret the law. Matthew uh, translates and calls this man a lawyer. They're similar to the Pharisees, but they're more focused on the knowledge of the law, writing up legal documents, interpreting the law, versus the Pharisees who are much more known for the outward uh, keeping and demonstrating of the law. 
So right here in verse 28, seeing that he answered them well. So the scribe is here and he's seeing these times when the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees are trying to trap Jesus. He's right here in this. And we start to get a picture of the motivation of the scribe, especially later on in verse 32. It seems like the scribe is genuinely just wanting to know. He seems to innocently ask which commandment is the most important of all. We've seen all these traps, but this account in Mark seems to show a little difference. He speaks highly of Jesus and Jesus' response, and then Jesus responds positively to him. So it seems like an honest question, and it's because of the situation and context the Jews live in. There are 613 laws. Our sermon series, The Struggle is Real. That struggle is real. Every day, trying to keep all of those 613 laws, 365 negative laws. I guess that's one for each day of the year, 248 positive, some heavy, some light. The heavy laws are the ones that you absolutely must follow, and the light laws are the ones you could kind of have a little leeway with. Maybe that's like our speed limit. That's the first thing I thought of. You know, I don't always obey the speed limit. I don't know about you guys. I think somebody, we got a guilty one over there laughing. <laughs> But these are the laws the Jews are trying to follow. This is still the context they live in today. So, it seems like this was a genuine question. The scribe is wanting to know, get a summary for all of these laws, a foundational truth to build the purpose of the Old Testament law. And Jesus answers him with something that all Jews are very familiar with. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Moses is sort of giving a, a speech. He's like giving a farewell speech. The whole book of Deuteronomy is kind of like Moses' farewell speech. The people of Israel, Israel have been traveling around in the wilderness for 40 years. They've not just been traveling. They've been wandering for 40 years. That struggle is real. They're about to enter the promised land, but Moses cannot. Moses is going to pass away before they can enter. And so he's giving this like farewell speech and message to the Israelites, this new generation of Israelites as they are about to enter. On top of that, these words are really sacred to the Jews because this Moses we're talking about. Moses is one of their greatest prophets. And especially in this context, they don't know Jesus really, right? So these words are very special to them. These particular words are called the Shema. These actual words, the hero Israel, the Lord our God. This is part of the Shema prayer. These words were recited twice a day by devout Jews. They still do this to today. You remember the phylacteries, those boxes the Pharisees would strap to their forehead and some of them would, you know, enlarge it to make themselves look extra special? Um, these verses are some of the verses that would be in every single one's phylacteries. These are very important verses. So these are, this is what Jesus, how he answers the man, the man who's a scribe who knows the law. These are the very words that every Jew, especially, describe knows. And this is a very Jesus kind of answer, isn't it? When they ask him about paying taxes to Caesar, he says, oh yeah, pay, the ta pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. When the Sadducees ask him about this ridiculous situation where they don't even believe in that scenario, they don't, don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and yet they ask him this ridiculous scenario, and he says, have you not read the book of Moses? Certainly they have, Right? So, why do we call this Shema? What is this Shema? Shema in the Hebrew is the word for listen or hear. So it's 
hear, O Israel, it's Shema, O Israel. And it can also mean, like, pay attention, and it can have the meaning and, and understanding that there's going to be a response. Psalms 27, 7 says, Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. This is the same way we use the word hear. It's not anything different. When you speak to someone and you ask them to listen up, holohe, it's not like, oh, just hear me, but then ignore. Never mind. You can, don't have to listen to what I'm saying. I don't know about you. And that's probably what my students think. But that's not what I, how I use the word, please listen to what I'm saying, hear what I'm saying. We have the keiki in here. When your parents tell you, right, Mana? When your dad tells you, hey, listen up, holohe. What, what does that mean? Just ignore me. No ways. Exactly, right? That's exactly right. So, there's this understanding in this context and this culture, this Hebrew culture, that you listen and that you obey. But it's even more than that. In the Hebrew language, there's not a separate word for obey. It's literally the same word. So even more so, you see this connection I use, the, um, I use the literal word app. Uh, Kahu Marcus told me to download this uh, a while ago, and I only recently listened. Uh, you can go on, I have an iPhone, so I don't know how the Android stuff works, but just go on your uh, app store, literal word. It's super easy, download, free, installs, no even logins or anything. You can pull it up, and you can reference all of your Greek and Hebrew words just like that. Go look it up, find uh, this passage, you can go straight to this passage, type on, uh, tap on here, it comes up as Shema. Go look up Obey, same word. You can type it in the other way. You can just search for uh, Obey, search for here, and it comes up as Shema. So we see this really important uh, connection here. Now let's continue to verse 29. Here we see Jesus' answer. The most important is, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What we see here, it appears to be the Israelites are monotheistic Trinitarian. Most of you just went, what? When Kauzi texted me this earlier, and I did the same thing, but it's not that hard. We can break this down, all right? I teach uh, physical education at KL High School, and we've been breaking down some of our content vocabulary, like cardio, respiratory, endurance. Cardio, respiratory, endurance. It's that easy. I just did it with charades, right? So we can break down part of this word. All right, monotheistic, let's break that down into mono and theistic, okay? So mono, what do you think of when you think of mono? I don't know why it took me so long to think of monotheism, but I'll get to that actually. I think of monopoly, the nerd in me thought of monocle for some reason. Who even uses that word anymore? Um, if you know sound, then I'm sure you thought of monophone. Uh, these, all these words have some kind of meaning of one, all right? And then theistic. Theistic is just a suffix meaning a belief of God. And so we have monotheistic. Sounds like monotheism, a belief of one God. Similar to, I think we're familiar with as well, polytheism, the belief of many gods, right? Okay, now Trinitarian, real simple. We can break this down into Trinity and Arian. And we know what the Trinity is. It's that belief of God in three persons in one. And Arian is just this, again, suffix of meaning to believe in something. And this is not the A-R-Y-A-N. A-R-Y-A-N is that like um, European, German, racial thing. That's not, that's a different word. So if that's what your mind went to, don't, that's not the word, right word. So we see this monotheistic Trinitarian view. We see God, here the Trinity in the Holy Spirit, our one God, 
But if you're looking in the verses, you said, I don't see that. Um, are you just pulling these fancy words out of here? Well, let me show you. Okay? It says here, the Lord our God. Now, this name here, Lord, this is the proper name of God. This is the name that God told Moses, this is my name. And you'll see it on the screen. Y-H-W-H, it's not an acronym, that's his name. God's name. Now, technically, as you can see it, there's no vowels. We know it as Yahweh or Jehovah. We've added vowels so that we can understand how to pronounce it, because how else do you pronounce that? And that's part of the issue that the Jews uh, fight through. Okay, it's technically unpronounceable. So for that reason, they are often replaced it with Adonai. If you are familiar with uh, Jewish language or anything, then you might have heard of Adonai. But also, there's a major reference for God's name. This is God's proper name. The second word here, um, God, the Lord our God, this word is Elohim. Now, here's where we connect it all together. Elohim is a plural word, plural, more than one. So, God is a plural word. We understand that to be our trinity. Okay, so it reads, it reads like this. The Lord, singular, our God, plural, the Lord, singular, is one. We know and understand that our God is one, but in three persons. We call this the trinity. We can see it in the Old Testament. This is pretty cool. Now, the thing is, the Jews will argue that this is wrong. Remember, they don't understand that Christ is Lord. They'll argue this is wrong. There's some very intelligent Jewish scholars. I read this long thing about this guy's very intelligent, and he does not believe in Christ is Lord, unfortunately. Um, and they'll argue that the fact that Elohim is plural, because it is, that's not a question, but the fact that Elohim is plural, that doesn't point to the Trinity. And they have some good arguments. But when you look at to the totality of Scripture, we know that our God is three in one. The, it's the same exact thing as when someone might say the Trinity is not in the Bible. When they say the Trinity is not in the Bible, they're wrong. We know it is. When they say the word the Trinity is not in the Bible, they're right. We just made that word up for us to help us understand it. But the truth of the Trinity is in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I think most of us won't come across a Jewish scholar arguing about this Elohim. It's, I don't know anyone who's Jewish. Um, maybe I should ask, but uh, I don't know anyone who's Jewish. I definitely don't know a scholar. But you definitely might come across someone who claims the Trinity is not in the Bible. Now remember, when they say the Trinity is not in the Bible, they're wrong. We see it right here in this 2 Corinthians passage. The Trinity is in the Bible. We see it all over the, the Word of God. Okay, when they say the Word is not in the Bible, just educate them. All right, now, let's continue on to Jesus' answer to the goat question. Verses 30 and 31. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Now, the first thing we're going to look at is that love is a command here. Shema, listen and obey. Now, this is big. So, how can you command someone to love? Because love is a choice. Now, this is important. Because there are people who claim they cannot control who they love. This might be difficult for some of us. So let's work through this. 
This is very dangerous. If it's not in my control, then what if it changes? And who dictates that? What if I am no longer in love with my spouse? Or what if I love, I choose, I, I don't choose. So what if it's just chosen for me, I guess? I don't know how they interpret that. But how, how, what's to stop me from loving this person that I'm not supposed to love? This is a very dangerous view. It's very important to know the fact that love is a choice. We must choose to love. We have a responsibility. And actually, that's probably a better word, a responsibility. Because how many of us have had the opportunity to love and we didn't? How difficult can this be at times? But you know why, right? Aren't we fallen creatures? John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's this connection between our abilities to do things, our ability to choose, and our relationship with Jesus. James 1.7, every good and perfect gift is from above, and that's love. Love is from God. 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. 1 John 4, 7, and 8, behold, and let's love one another. Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is from God because God is love. When I have it on there, I think it's on the next slide. It might be a little bit misleading on your uh, notes, the way it's written in there, okay? God is love. I think I might have it, if you read it that way, love is God, that might be, I'm not an English major, but that might be the wrong way to look at it. God is love, right? That's what's clearly being taught to us in the scriptures, all right? So love is a command because it's been given to us. We have a responsibility to use it. John Piper wrote a short article about this choice or decision. He wrestled with using the word choice as well. Not that it's wrong, but it's not quite the entire full picture, right? And he says, but I am jealous that the richness and depth and human impossibility of what love is in the Bible not be lost. Our society misunderstands biblical love, that's for sure. The truth that God is love, he has given love to us, and we are responsible to love is foundational. So we'll be back at this. Now we've spent some time digging into multiple points as I learn to preach or what my style is. Um, in this passage, I feel comfortable pointing out these clear truths. I think for sure some of us need more digging in these, and amen, that's exactly how it should be. You, I, I'm not speaking out of turn at all. I know our kahus would agree that whatever gets spoken up here, whether it's me who is not a kahu or if it's their own words as well, that you evaluate their words, you evaluate the scriptures that are being used. So, as we start to turn towards our application, what is God telling us today? It's just going to follow. I think it's really clear. Love God and love others. And I thought about how to continue with this. I think I need to kind of work backwards. I got to work with um, loving others first because once I get to loving God, it's kind of hard for me to continue. So we're going to work with loving others first. So we're commanded to love others. It's a responsibility even if we don't like them, right? Or we just don't mesh, we must choose love. And of course, neighbors is not the people, not just the people next door to us, right? What are we commanded to do? 
make disciples of all nations. Our neighbors are the people all around the world. So let's look at four points about loving our neighbors. It says in our passage here to love our neighbor as ourselves. Ephesians 5.29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. That's probably an enormous challenge for most of us. I think it's real obvious how much we love ourselves based on our social media posts, our selfies, our treat-yourself mentality. But when we're not a part of, but here, here we are not a part of a self-help program. This is not the message of personal health and wealth. This is not jets and mansions. The Christ that we know and serve was sacrificial of his own life. And that's the call here, to love others sacrificially. John 13, 34, 35 says, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we see two points from this passage. We love others because God loved us. And we love others to point them to Jesus. That's our saying here at Ohana Church, right? Love people to the beauty of Christ. We have one more point about loving our neighbors. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Later in verse 20 it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we see as well, we love others to love God. This refusal to love one another is an obstacle to loving God. I think we need to think about this for a second. Are we refusing to love our neighbor in any way because it hinders our love for God? A certain person maybe that you can think of. For me, loving others can be difficult. It's easy to love the lovable, but the people who irritate you, that drain you, that's probably my thing. It's hard for the people that drain me. And it's not saying here that you have to put up with abuse. That's not the truth here. There's also wisdom and love and correction. Hebrews 12.6, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. So sometimes it's an easier type of love than other times. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's correction. Sometimes it's joining in sorrow. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So love can look different in each situation, right? We share a certain type of love with our spouse, a certain type of love with the keiki, and then a certain type of love with our brothers and sisters. We see a very clear command to love one another. Okay, now let's go back to verse 30. Very clearly, it says to love God. And we see this charge. It's not too hard to draw this distinction. It's calling us to love God with everything we are. And I don't think the intent is to look at each word, heart, soul, mind, and strength, create these categories for each, figure out which aspects of our life fit into heart, 
fit into soul, the aspects of our life that don't fit into these categories, we don't have to love God with that. That's definitely not the message of the Bible. That's definitely not the teaching. That's not the intent of this passage. It would be hard to draw some clear lines around what those words mean anyway, but it is going to be useful to get a better understanding of these words. And so, let's look into it. Again, I'm using the literal word app, so it's real easy to do this, and you can look it up. The New Testament, as we know, is written in Greek, right? And the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. So we can actually look at multiple words for this. Well, let's look at heart first. Heart. The Hebrew word is lebab. I think those Bs are kind of a V sound sometimes, but it just kind of looks like lebab to me. This means the inner man, the core of a person's identity. Proverbs 20, uh, 4, 23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So we're talking about the root of who we are. And I don't know about you, but I'm convicted already. Love the Lord God with all your heart. Love the Lord God with, all, with the root of who you are. That's a challenge. I know I don't do that all the time, that's for sure. This is the first word. We got three more words to go. So, let's continue. The, actually, the Greek here for heart is cardia, the seat of life, the center of our personal life. We see the similarities there, of course. The next word, soul. Now, here's where there's, there's lots of overlap with this word, soul. I'll try to go through this quickly. When you're standing up here, you have no idea how quickly or slowly you're going through things. So, it is what it is, right? I'm not in control, right, Connie? <laughs> so, uh, we're looking at this word, soul. The word soul is nefesh in Hebrew. It can mean desire, emotion, and passage. And when we look at how else it's translated in the Old Testament, which is translated uh, 625 times, it's translated as creature, life, and being. So this word for soul here has a lot of meanings, just like run. When I was in sixth grade, we did this activity um, where we figured out how many definitions for the word run we could, we could find. Like how many do you, can you think of off the top of your head? I think we got to like 19 or something, but I Googled this when I was looking it up, and I was, it like disgusted me a little. For some reason, it comes up with like 640 definitions for run. Like that's a little bit unnecessary, isn't it? But what I'm pointing out here is that it's not uncommon, it's not odd for these words to have these multiple meanings. That's just part of language right? So it has a lot of meanings. The soul, this word soul has a lot of meanings. It seems to just kind of point to ways in which we exist, like our emotions, having life. You can see already how similar these words heart and soul are, our first two. And in fact, uh, many scholars will actually say that labab, heart, is included within nefesh, soul. So it's really just painting this picture of our entire being. And what's cool about this too, especially for us, the Greek word here for soul, which we understand is psyche. I think it's suke, maybe originally, but it's the breath of life. We know that as ha. I thought that was really cool. That's our soul. We're getting a better understanding of the context of heart and soul. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This pure heart, true love, hits the target every time. 
I think we're about exhausting this, breaking this down through here, but the first two are the complex ones, and the next two are, are um, a lot easier, so we'll go through these quickly. We'll stick with the Greek. Mind in the Greek is dianoia. Dianoia means understanding, and that's easy for us to connect. Strength in the Greek is iskus, and that's power, force, and ability. And again, those, I think, connect with us really well. Now, I'm sure you expected it. Let's look at the word love. I'm sure you figured we would be in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is, I'm sorry, we've heard these words before. I think we've probably posted 1 Corinthians 13 on our social medias and whatnot. Maybe all this breaking down stuff was challenging for you. But here, hear the word of God in the truth of what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I read that and I go, wow. Have I ever loved? The depth of what love truly is. I'm nowhere close to that. Definitely not all of the time. I think we could all say the same. We hold back a lot from our love from God. So let's think about this for a moment. What is God convicting you of right now? What aspect of your life are you withholding from your love for God? I'm not going to ask you to like say it out loud or write it on a card or, or, or anything, but here's the thing. This was made clear to me. Don't try to hide it. Because God knows us better than we know ourselves. First Chronicles 28.9 says, The Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Psalms 139, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. Later on, it continues, You discern my thoughts from afar and then acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Verse 13 here from Psalms 139 is the well-known, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. God knows us even better than we know ourselves. Don't try to hide it. So I invite you to confess right now because he hears you. Don't wait till you get home or someone else confronts you. Or when we're done with service, I still got a few more minutes. Right now, what is God speaking to you? Because he's with you. Joshua 1.9 says, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What aspect of your life are you withholding from God? You know, for me, one thing has been my trust. I'm a very capable human being. I say that with all the arrogance and pride it sounds like. It's been a challenge for me from as long as I can remember. I've always been confident in being able to do what I need to do, thinking I'm better than most other people. I have enough money to pay the bills. I can fix the sink when it leaks. In college, I could roll out of bed, go to class, and pass my test. Some of them was kind of barely passing, but I mean, I got my degree. I went through high school easy. I didn't know how to study. I didn't know how to take tests. 
I can build a house. Well, my dad builds a house. I help him build a house that Jody and I live in. Yesterday, we put down over 10, just over 10 yards of concrete. I can do a lot of things. Connie's over here pumping me up before service. You guys can hear the problem. I can. I. I can also be super stressed out, anxious, worried. My dentist asked me when I started grinding my teeth. I went, what? I do what? Should have been a sign, missed that one. My hair is not white because I was painting. I don't like painting, so that can't be it. Man, I'm stressed. That's my wife. She'll tell you straight. I'm stressed. I do that to myself. I built up. I built up such a dependence on myself, my abilities. When trials come, I say, rejoice in this? Man, this is hard. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. I can't handle it. I shared this with our appeal group. I believe God has been teaching me how little I trust Him. My faith and love for Him is inadequate. I think if we're honest, we can all see how we fall short in loving God. At this point, I'm feeling pretty beat up. I also feel like Jesus has called us to do something impossible. You feel like that too? Got a little sneak peek of that in Piper's quote, if you caught that. That's how the Jews felt. That's why they had the light and heavy laws. Well, I'll tell you, if you're trying this by yourself, it is impossible. Romans 3 is rough. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. It keeps going from there. Remember, Jesus tells us that apart from Him, we can do nothing. We're in desperate need for Him in order to love because He is love and has given us love. A while ago, I read this book by Francis Chan, Crazy Love. I recommend it. I'm not a great reader. It's, it's an easy read. But man, that's a good one. I, the, the thing I remember the most from that book is the honest truth of how incapable we are. In Ezekiel, it tells us He will give us a new heart. There are some of us here that have never gotten that brand new heart. And the rest of us, we need to ask for that renewing of our heart daily. So, as I wrap it up, I'm reminded of the last time I preached, we were in Nehemiah 8, the people wept as Ezra read the Word of God over them. They, have, they were broken. They have been in sin for a long time. However, Ezra, Nehemiah, the other leaders, they said, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Our brokenness over our sin is good, for sure. But there's a time and place for things. The leaders, they finish by saying, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We should look to these commandments, see what God has called us to recognize how we have failed, and remember that Christ did it for us. When there was no possible way we even remotely deserved it, too. Romans 5.8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the true, perfect, sacrificial, supreme kind of love. And because of that love, we can be encouraged, encouraged to submit our lives. Whatever state they're in, 
to our monotheistic Trinitarian God who commands us to Shema, listen and obey, Yahweh, the one true God. And we can only do that when we recognize that God is love, that He has given us His love, and that by His power, we are responsible to love Him and to love others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, God, we just submit to you this morning, Lord. Those of us whose relationship is on fire with you, those of us who have no idea of who you truly are, God, we come before you and we ask for a heart that seeks after you and that loves you, Lord. I pray this brokenness, in, I pray that there is brokenness in all of us, Lord, and I pray that that brokenness, Lord, that you would point us to the encouragement of that you have accomplished it for us. It is not by our works. For it is by grace we have been saved. Through you and from you. Lord, I pray for those. I pray for those that do not know you, God. I pray that you would speak to them right now. Lord, I pray that you would just take control in their life that they would come to know you. Lord, I pray for those of us who do know you and call you our Lord and Savior. I pray that we would remember that daily we need you and that we would submit and follow you. God, I thank you for this time together. I pray that we would leave changed this morning.